0: Now we've been in Ephesians chapter two, but I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna divert from Ephesians two today because of our baptisms and I just really had this scripture on my heart uh, in first Corinthians chapter four. I want you I'm I want you to go there. First Corinthians chapter four, beginning in verse fourteen. Well, actually, I want to begin in verse 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 9. Sorry, computer person. They love it when I, you know, let them know ahead of time they can type everything in and have it ready. But they're so good, they can work on the fly. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Verse nine. Part of the reason I wanted to read this to you today is not just because it's Father's Day. Um, I think this is important because of what's happening in our nation and in our culture. And if you're not, if you're not aware of what's happening in our nation and our culture, I, I, I want to really encourage you to have eyes to see and ears to hear. Now, of all people on planet earth, the ones that have least reason to be fearful are us, believers. As believers, we have no reason to be fearful. If your worst case scenario came to pass for this nation, for our culture, for the people you love around you, We have no reason to be fearful because we sang about a God today. We sang about a Lord today who is crowned with many crowns because He's not just, like Caleb said, the Lord of your heart. He's not just Lord over this little gathering here. He is the Lord over all creation. Everything that's happening today, everything that happened today, Yesterday, Everything that will happen tomorrow and in the days and weeks and years and decades to come. Everything is in his control. There is nothing that happens apart from his knowledge. There is nothing that happens apart from his will. That may sound shocking to you. But let me ask you, how powerful is our God if God says, I will that that not happen, and the devil says, I don't care what you will, I'm going to do it anyways. You have no power over me. Is that the God you want to believe in? I hope it's not the God you want to believe in. So how do we reconcile the reality of what's happening with the mythology that we often apply to God. And I say mythology because we often apply a lot of things to God that are really mythological. They're not rooted and grounded in the Scripture. Either Jesus is Lord of all, or He is not Lord at all. And this is why I say as believers, we have reason. To be hopeful, we have reason to be encouraged even in the face of what looks like a disintegrating culture and nation. We have reason to be hopeful. We have reason to be excited because God is working. Because God is true to His Word. God will, He will set things right. And he will hold on to you, and he will hold on to me as he does that. He raised up this nation. If he chooses to bring down this nation, he will hold on to you, and he will hold on to me as he does that. And what is the worst thing that could possibly happen to us? We die and, and enter into the presence of Jesus? Is that, That's the worst thing that can happen to us? say, Pastor Jeff, I can think of a lot worse things that can happen to me before I die. Listen, trust God that he will give you grace to walk through and endure whatever it is that you may walk through and endure. Now, I don't want to just be morbid today. But I'm saying these things for a reason. And I'm saying these things on Father's Day. And I'm saying these things to all of us, male and female. But I want to challenge men to step up. Men, you need to step up. God created you to lead. Men, God created you to lead your families. There's a right way and a wrong way to do that, obviously. So this isn't just about you exercising some power trip or getting puffed up. This is you understanding who you are in Christ. This is you understanding that God on purpose made you a man. And God on purpose made you a woman. And when you're born again, your genetic code doesn't change. Your number of chromosomes don't change. When you're born again, what happens is your heart changes. When you're born again, now your mind is to change. And your mind and your heart, your will and your desires are to begin to conform to that of God as He has revealed them to us in His Word. And God has placed us in this world to be witnesses to Him, to His glory. Now, I want to begin reading in verse 9 here, 1 Corinthians chapter 4. For I think that God has displayed us, the apostles, last as men condemned to death. For we have been made a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. To angels and to men. When you think no one sees you, understand, God sees you. There is a spirit realm that you give witness to. Always, We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. Paul is being facetious here. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are dishonored. Here in verse 11, Paul gives the true condition of his life at this moment. To the present hour, we both hunger and thirst. We are poorly clothed and beaten and homeless. Now, I'm not advocating that lifestyle. I don't want to live that lifestyle. I don't want to be beaten. I don't want to be hungry. I don't want to be poorly clothed. I don't want to be homeless. But I want you to hear the Apostle Paul, the great Apostle Paul, When he says, to the present hour, we both hunger and thirst, we are poorly clothed, we are beaten and homeless. Where was his prosperity gospel? Where was his ability to name it and claim it? Where was his best life yet and his success and his motivation? Where was it? Well, it was in Christ. If you think Paul wanted to live that life, you've missed the point. Paul wasn't trying to prove something through his poverty. Paul says, I live my life for Christ. And very often, the message I have and the life I live is not real popular in the world. Therefore, the world does not always treat me well. Verse 12, and we labor working with our own hands, being reviled, being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we endure. Why was Paul reviled? Because people didn't like what Paul was preaching. And people didn't like what Paul was teaching. And people didn't like what Paul was living. So they reviled him because Paul refused to compromise the truth. Paul didn't give a pass to anybody when it came to sin and the things that lead to the destruction of men. We bless being persecuted, we endure. Being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we endure. Being defamed, we entreat. We have been made as the filth of the world. We have been made as the offscouring of the world. We have been made as the scum of the earth. You ever heard someone, has anyone ever called you the scum of the earth? Have you ever called anyone the scum of the earth? That guy's the scum of the earth. You know where that came from? That came from the Bible. Paul said, we are the scum of the earth. This is, this is how the world considers us. We're just like scum. The off-scouring of all things until now. For I do not write these things to shame you, but as my beloved children, I warn you. And I want you to look at that right there. Paul says, I'm not writing these things to shame you. I'm not trying to get pity from you. I'm not trying to manipulate you. I'm not trying to coerce you. I'm not trying to get something from you. I'm not writing these things to shame you. He said, I'm writing these things because you are my beloved children and I am Warning you. Look at verse 15. For though you have 10,000 instructors. For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ. Yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. Therefore I urge you to imitate me. Therefore I urge you to follow my example. For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, you do not have many fathers. What's the difference between an instructor and a father? There's a big difference in there. I had a lot of instructors when I was at the University of Texas. I had a lot of instructors in school. I've had a lot of instructors for various things. And they may have been good instructors, good teachers. Paul says, you have a lot of instructors in Christ, but you don't have many fathers. Because there's an interaction between a student and an instructor that's very, very different than the interaction between a father and their child. Paul said, I'm not just your instructor. I'm not just here giving you knowledge. I'm not just here filling your head with stuff. I'm here as your father. I begot you. I gave birth to you in the gospel. It was the gospel message that I preached that caused you to be born again. It was the power of my gospel that brought you from death to life. It was the power of the gospel that I preached that saved you. So Paul says, as your father... I am speaking to you. I'm exhorting you. I'm warning you. So biblical fatherhood, Paul writes this to Timothy. He said, Timothy, my son in the faith. He wrote to Titus. He said, Titus, my dear son. Now those weren't Paul's biological children. They were his children in the faith. And When I talk to you today about fatherhood, I'm not just talking about biological fatherhood, though I want to remind you fathers with children that the most important disciple you will ever make will be your family. It will be your wife. It will be your children. It will be those of your household. Don't go out and try to save the world and lose your own family. But we are all called to be, in this sense, parents, spiritual parents. We could say the same thing on Mother's Day. Isaiah talks about nursing fathers and nursing mothers. He's talking about nurturing children, nurturing spiritual children. This is what Paul was saying. You have many instructors, but you don't have many fathers. You don't have many men who are nurturing you spiritually. You have a lot of men who are trying to get your money... You have a lot of men who are trying to manipulate you to send and sow your seed. You have a lot of people trying to build their empires. But you don't have many fathers who are willing to speak the truth to you to the point that it hurts. Who are willing to encourage you to speak the truth in this world even if it costs you as it has cost me. That's what Paul was saying. Paul says the truth has cost me. It's made me hungry, it's made me homeless, it's made me poorly clothed, it's left me beaten, it's left me for dead. Paul says, you must be willing to endure the same for the sake of Christ and the glory of his name. Now, I was born in 1961. I was too young to be drafted. By the time I got old enough, the draft was no more. I've never been off to a war. My dad was a World War II vet. He landed at Normandy. Days following, was in the Battle of the Bulge. My father, I have uncles that experienced unspeakable horrors. But I grew up in a time of really relative peace. We had a Cold War. I can remember doing drills for nuclear blasts when I was in school. If a nuclear bomb goes off, get under your desk. Okay. And don't look up, because the light will blind you. The bomb shelter is located... Three point two miles from here. You'll never make it, but just in case. <laughs> Realistically, I've grown up in in a world filled with peace and prosperity. I've never gone hungry a day in my life unless I wanted to or chose to. I've never come close to starving, even remotely close, though sometimes I feel like I'm starving. Because I love to eat. You guys know that. We've grown up in this nation so blessed. With so much blessing. Now we're living in a time when we're beginning to see. Cracks. Disintegration. And it's to the point. That people can't deny it anymore. It's to the point that people are actually becoming really concerned. About what might happen in our future. Now I'm going to tell you right now. That has the hand of God all over it. Because we are no different than any other nation that's ever existed. In our peace and in our prosperity. We have just forgotten God. We have just rejected God. We have. Gone our own way. And think that the wholesale murder of unborn babies doesn't mean anything. Over 50 million since 1973. 3,000 a day. A 9-11 every day since 1973. Can you imagine? We lost our minds September 1st, 2001. September 11, 2001. We lost our collective minds as a nation. And we are still fighting a war because of that day. In 2001, yet, 3,000 babies every day since 1973, and no one barely utters a peep collectively. In fact, we defend it. And yet, we've prospered, we've been at peace, relatively speaking. The wars we have fought since World War II are not wars we fought because someone attacked us, except for this most recent one. They were wars we fought because we chose to fight them for various reasons. I'm not becoming political with you today. I'm just telling you that what's happening in our culture now is causing people to be alarmed. And if there is a time in in, in our history as a nation for fathers to rise up, it is this time right now. And I'm talking about spiritual fathers. We all are spiritual fathers in some, however you want to look at it. Men, you are discipling your families one way or another. It's not a question of if you are discipling them, it's how are you discipling them, and to what are you discipling them. It's not a question of, men of whether you're leading your family, the question is where are you leading them, and how are you leading them, and what are you showing them. Because here's what Paul says, you have many instructors. You have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Jesus Christ I have begotten you through the gospel, what are we producing? And then he says this, Therefore I urge you, imitate me. Follow my example. He says in the same epistle in chapter 11, verse 1, Follow me, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. That's what Paul is saying. Follow me as I follow Christ. Jesus Christ The person, the God-man, is not walking the earth in the flesh today, but he is in the earth today through his body. It is Christ in us. This is why Paul says, Follow me as I follow Christ. Fathers, where are you leading your families? Christians, What are people seeing as you walk? Are they seeing someone that's following Christ, or they, do they see someone that's following the world, seeking the approval of men, trying to keep your head low and and stay out of the fray, and just hope it all blows over one day, and we can get back to life as as it as, as As we want it to be. Do you know what? I pray to God that doesn't happen. I don't want us to go back to the way it was. What do we want to go back to? Keep killing babies every day. Keep the injustice and the corruption. But as long as I've got everything I want. Then I'm okay with that. We as the church should not be satisfied with that. We as the church should not be content with those things. We as the church should stand up for righteousness. Even if the world reviles us and the world persecutes us. And if we stand up for righteousness today, I promise you the world will revile you and the world will persecute you. Are you prepared to be reviled and are you prepared to be persecuted Because you believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because you will stand for the gospel of Jesus Christ. If we don't have men stand up and take that stand courageously, who's going to do it? The women shouldn't be doing it apart from the men. The men should be standing up. So today, we're going to baptize two young men. And in baptizing those two young men, I'm going to ask each of them three questions. And the last of those three questions that I'm going to ask these young men is, do you commit your life To live as a Christian, do you commit your life to Christ? Do you commit to live your life as a Christian for the rest of your days, Church, we need to ask ourselves that question. Have we committed ourselves to live as Christians for the rest of our days? Or do we want to be Christians in name only? I want to have the name Christian, I want to go to heaven, but I don't, I don't, I'm not particularly interested... In whether anybody knows I'm one or not, as long as God knows, that's all that counts for me. I don't need to make my faith known. I don't need for anyone to know what my personal religious preferences are. Do you know how utterly contrary to the Bible that is? We've not only been called to make our faith known, we've been called to unashamedly live it. Now, that doesn't mean you don't use wisdom and understand how to contextualize that. Doesn't mean be obnoxious and go just, no. Be as wise as serpents and as gentle as doves. I'm not talking about you being disruptive on your job or something like that. I'm talking about all the other opportunities we have. I'm talking about how you lead your family. What are you doing with your children? What are you doing with your spouse? What are you doing out in your community? What are you doing when you're playing? What are you doing when you're shopping? What are you doing with your time, with your talent, with your treasure? Are you investing it in the kingdom? What are you doing with the people that God brings into your sphere of influence? Are you speaking the truth and love to them? Or are you afraid to tell them the truth because it might hurt their feeling? And you don't want to lose their friendship? Imitate me. Follow me as I follow Christ. Fathers, be fathers, be men. Lead your families boldly, bravely, without compromise. At the very same time, let me read you one other scripture to bring a little bit of balance here. Same apostle, the apostle Paul, in his letter to the Thessalonians... Just in case you're tempted to go out and be some bull in the China in, uh, in the China store and and you're breaking everything. It's not what I'm talking about. Second, uh, first Thessalonians, chapter two, verse four. But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. Our hearts are being tested today. Our hearts are being tested today. For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak for covetousness. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. Look at verse 7. But we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. have seven grandsons they all nursed at their mother's breast and this is the picture paul is picturing here for us that he's painting for us paul says when we came to you we were gentle among you just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children so affectionately longing for you We were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become dear to us. You see this picture, this contrasting picture that Paul presents. One minute he's bringing the rod of correction. The next minute he says we were like nursing mothers. Do you know what both of those are pictures of? Nursing mothers and the rod of Those are pictures of a parent. Those are pictures of a parent's love. A love providing, a providing nurture and love that provides discipline. Those aren't contradictory pictures. Those are complementary pictures. And you see all of this in Paul's letters. That Paul says, whatever is necessary, because I love you as dear children, I bring to you what's necessary. Whether it's the milk of the breast or whether it's the rod of correction. I'm going to bring what's necessary for you because you are to me beloved children. We need to learn how to live our lives. How to lead others. How to give witness from that picture of truth that Paul paints for us. We do that by the grace of God. but I want you to understand it will cost you it could very well cost you and the chances are as the days go on it will cost you more are you willing to pay the price for the glory of God that's the question men I want to challenge you to be willing to pay the price for the glory of God pay it with your families start there lead them guide them in the truth for his glory Amen.